Take out your Bible tonight, open first to the book of Psalms. Started a message series this morning entitled Living Word. Uh, each year I try to preach at least one uh, major doctrinal series. I know that sometimes doctrine seems dry and people aren't very interested. It seems kind of uh, academic or, or maybe too much like school. Uh, but it's very important for us to, to remind each other what we believe and, and how we can talk about it. And, and fully to understand, especially in this case, uh, the place of the Bible in, in our lives. I said this morning that the Bible doesn't talk a lot about itself, and, and truly it, it does not. And it's one of the difficulties in formulating a doctrine of, of Scripture. Uh, it just doesn't point to itself. As I said this morning, it, it points to Christ. It always points away from itself and, and toward Christ. There is one very, very long section of Scripture, though, that, that speaks about Scripture and, and only about Scripture. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Happens to be the longest chapter in the Bible. I guess that's ironic or, 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 or purposeful in the spirit. Um, what chapter is that? Psalm 119. Turn over to Psalm 119. It, it is the longest chapter in the Bible, and every single verse in Psalm 119 is talking about Scripture. It's talking about God's Word, God's law. Every single verse. It, it's kind of an interesting psalm, and I want you to look at it because it's going to help us as we talk more tonight. Just sort of look at, at the chapter. What do you see as you look at Psalm 119? You notice that, that it's broken up into sections. Each section has how many verses? Yeah, each section has exactly eight verses. Uh, very interesting. How many sections are there? How many sections? You counting still? Yeah, there happen to be 22. Why are there 22? Absolutely. Each of those headings there, you'll notice that the first heading is Aleph. The second heading is Beit. The, the, the third one is Gimel. That's the Hebrew alphabet. Understand that it has 22 letters. And Psalm 119 is actually a poem. It's an acrostic poem. Now, what's an acrostic? An acrostic poem. Let's say that we all love Matt Betts and we wanted to write a poem uh, to celebrate our love for Matt. We might, we might put Matt down the side of the page and come up with, 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 with words or sentences that start with the letters of his name. So M would be <laughs> magnificent, masculine, yeah, something like that. A could be awesome, uh, yeah, uh, annoying, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's that sort of thing. Understand, Psalm 119 is structured in that way. So that first section, Aleph, every single, every single verse in that section starts with that letter, with, with the letter Aleph from the Hebrew alphabet, and then says something about God's Word. And then the section B, uh, Beit, it's the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's the same thing. Every single, again, you'd have to read that in Hebrew to understand that. But, but it's interesting how the Holy Spirit inspires this chapter, inspires this poem. It could have come in any way that it would come, but it comes in a poem, a very structured poem. And it's all about, all about God's Word. You can jump in anywhere and you'll be talking about God's Word. I'm going to jump in verse 9 and, and read, read several verses here. Just follow with me. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your Word. 
I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart. Say it, that I might not sin against you. Yeah, that's a familiar verse. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Be good to your servant that I may live and obey your word. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. I am only a foreigner in the land. Don't hide your commands from me. I am always overwhelmed with a desire for your regulations. You rebuke, rebuke the arrogant. Those who wander from your commands are cursed. Don't let them scorn and insult me for I have obeyed your laws. And it goes on and on and on. Two verses I just want to call to your attention for, for what they say about the psalmist and maybe what they say about us. Verse 14 says what? I have rejoiced in your laws, rejoiced in your word as much as in riches. Yeah, you ever watch the game show, somebody wins $500, what do they do? You seen it? I mean, people get really excited over less than $500. They win a box of rice-a-roni on, on the prices, right? And they're, they're rejoicing in their riches. Yeah. But what does the psalmist say? I rejoice in what? Your word, your law. I, I rejoice in, in God's word more than in riches. I love that. And jump down to verse 20. I am always overwhelmed with a desire for your law, for your word. Just let that sink in, that the psalmist is talking about the word of God, and he says, I rejoice in God's word more than in riches. I am always overwhelmed with desire for God's word. I would have to say, I think this is what really is lacking in a lot of our lives. Let's just be very, very honest. And not very many of us are overwhelmed with desire when it comes to God's word. And that says something negative about our spiritual life. We are sometimes entertained or we love God's word, but do we love it more than we love riches, more than we love money? I mean, let's put some things in, in true order. The, the psalmist had that kind of passion for God's word, but often that kind of passion is, is lacking in our lives. I would like to encourage you in the next few weeks as we talk about God's word together, make this your prayer. Pray for this kind of desire. Pray for a desire for God's word. Pray for a hunger for God's word. Ask God for it. There's nothing wrong with that. Ask God for it and then keep coming back. Just keep coming back to God's word. Keep coming back to its pages. Keep coming back and allowing God, the Holy Spirit, to feed you from his word. Just keep coming back. The problem is a whole lot of us, uh, we, we've tried to read the Bible. We really, really did. And, and we got a Bible and we opened it up. Go ahead, take your Bible, open it up. Well, what do you see? If you open it up and just start at the beginning, like you might do a, a novel of some kind, where would you start? Read Genesis. Pretty good start? Yeah, Genesis is pretty good. Most people enjoy Genesis. You get through creation stories and those are wonderful. Then you get immediately, real soon, Cain kills Abel. Then you get to the flood, uh, chapter 7. The, the flood recedes in chapter 8. Uh, you move right on through to, to Abraham in about Genesis chapter 10. And, and it's just all so good that these stories are, are absolutely wonderful. You get through Genesis. Then you get to Exodus. What happens in Exodus? Yeah, the plagues. I mean, I mean, man, maybe I'm just a, a guy, but man, once the frogs and snakes come out, I'm there. 
I mean, I love Exodus. I just love, love the excitement. The water turns to blood. I mean, it is such a thrilling, thrilling story all the way through the, the Ten Commandments. You get Genesis, Exodus. Man, it's so good. And then you hit, then you hit Leviticus, and that's where you died. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, all of the sudden, all of the sudden, you hit, you hit Leviticus. Honestly, the Old Testament is, is kind of hard to read. Uh, let's just be really honest. The, the Old Testament can be hard to read. What makes it hard? What's the, Andrew? The, 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 the detail? Uh, what do you mean by that? Yeah, Andrew says it's not just the laws, the, the incredible detail of the laws, but also the genealogies. You get into the begat, so-and-so is the father, is the father of so-and-so. Yeah, it just kind of wears, wears you out. What else? Why is the Old Testament so discouraging sometimes for the person who really wants to read the Bible? Yeah, Renee. Yeah, it, it speaks from a world that is very foreign to us. We don't understand the customs of, of the day. We just don't understand so much. It's almost like we, we, we need help to, to make sense of it. Yeah. Anybody else? Why is this so hard? Yeah, there's, it's, it's a pretty brutal, yeah, judgmental yeah, book. And, and Juliana says, as sinners, we'd just all be dead if all we had was, was the Old Testament uh, which brings us back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Turn back and let's look once more at, at how Paul describes Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is where we were this morning. Start in verse 15. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired. The word inspired means God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Now, we were just talking about the Old Testament. Tonight, I want us to really think about what it, what it is to read the Old Testament. But I want to call your attention to, to, to this verse here. Now, remember, as I said this morning, the Holy Spirit inspires these authors to write His Word. The Bible is, is the Word of God in human words. So at some point, there's a human being in the equation who sits down, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, and he writes. And often, they write truths larger than they know. So when we read here, all scriptures inspired by God, Paul is writing what he knows, but he's also writing something larger than he knows. But because when Paul writes this, what is scripture? When he says to, to Timothy, you've been taught the holy scriptures, what's he talking about? Yeah, the Old Testament. Yeah, there, there is no New Testament in, in, in those days. I mean, it's kind of common sense, but, but we don't always think about that. When Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures, and the Holy Scriptures were able to make you wise unto salvation through Christ Jesus, he's talking about the Old Testament. Again, Paul's still writing 2 Timothy, 
Even at that moment, you understand? There is no New Testament. It's only the Old Testament. So the Old Testament was the Bible for Paul and the Bible for Timothy and the Bible for Jesus. It was their scripture. It was the complete scripture. So when Paul says this, in his mind, he's just talking about the Old Testament. We now know that because of the way the Holy Spirit can communicate more than even Paul understood, we can take this verse, all Scripture, and include the Scripture in the New Testament. But in Paul's mind, he's just talking about the Old Testament. He's simply talking about the Old, Old Testament. Notice what he says, the Old Testament. The Old Testament is sufficient to, to lead you to salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Really? Yeah. And, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do right. He's still talking about the Old Testament. It has that power and God uses it. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. See, that's always the thing when you come to the Bible. It's a living word. It's a living book. So when you come to the pages, there's a, a living speaking voice, and it's God's voice. And God can use the scriptures, all the scriptures, but God will use the Old Testament in all the same ways as he uses the New Testament. It's, it's all God-breathed. It's all God-breathed. But you have to read it, you have to believe it, and you have to obey it. You have to read, believe, and obey. And I guess it comes down to, to understand. So again, back to the Old Testament. How do I know if I'm understanding it? I mean, Renee's already reminded us. I don't understand those customs. I read the law that says you can't boil a kid in its mother's milk. Not like a kid kid, but like a goat, you know. You can't boil a kid in its mother's milk. And I'm thinking, what, what? I mean, why? I mean, strange. There's strange customs. How do I know if I'm understanding it? Basic principle of understanding Scripture: When you read the Bible, you look for the the plain sense. Understand? And maybe nobody's ever said that out loud. But but this is what I'm telling you. Look for what it obviously means, the, the plain sense. I mentioned this morning the, the way people will often look for biblical secrets, the, the, the Bible secrets. You know, it, it's just really interesting. They'll find things and you'll say, my goodness, I never would have seen that. I would have read that scripture and never known that it was, that it was talking about alien abduction. Well, it's not. It, it's not. You understand? It's not that those scholars or those people are smarter than you. If anybody finds something that just isn't the plain sense of it, I, I'm figuring they made something up. I mean, I mean, if you can find recipes and, and all kinds of stuff in here that, that obviously isn't there, I, I really think you're forcing something into Scripture. It, look for the plain sense. Just read it and, and look for what it obviously means. You're not looking for something that nobody's ever seen before, and the Holy Spirit's going to guide you and, and, and teach you. But, but honestly, just get real about it. Just stop, slow down, read. Just read and look for the plain meaning. Look for the plain sense of it. What would anybody with a good mind who reads that passage understand from it? That's what you want to find. You're not looking for something that, that Billy Graham's never seen before. Matter of fact, why don't you just look for what Billy Graham saw? You, you understand? Look for the plain meaning, the plain sense. You're not trying to find something so deep to, to, to cause the earth to tremble. Do you understand? You just want to figure out what God is saying to you. So, 
look for what's obvious. Just read the Bible and look for obvious meanings. Problem is, what's obvious to me may not be yeah, obvious to you. The plain sense isn't always plain to everybody. And that's where sometimes we get into difficulties. I can read a passage and I can really see something there and other people may not see it at all. And sometimes we have some really good discussions over how to interpret, how to make sense out of, out of the Bible. And especially the Old Testament. So let me give you just some reading points when it comes to the Old Testament. And I want you to read the Old Testament, not the whole thing. You could. But read in the Old Testament this week. And let's just start with, with some basic principles. Uh, number one. Why is the plain sense not plain to everybody? Well, understand, as we said this morning, the Bible is the Word of God in human words. The Bible is the Word of God. God breathed. It's in human words. And the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit is that, is that He's just so creative. And in inspiring His Word, He seems to utilize every possible kind of written communication. I mentioned that Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem. What? It's an acrostic poem. Now, the Holy Spirit could have just given you out there a hundred bullet points if he wanted to, but the Holy Spirit inspired a poem structured by the Hebrew alphabet. Eight sentences. I mean, this thing is really rigid. It's a form. It's an acrostic poem. And the Holy Spirit wanted that. I find that amazing. But he doesn't even stop there. If you're reading through the Old Testament, what else do you find? What other kinds of written communication do you find in the Old Testament? Yeah, stories, absolutely. And that's why the Old Testament, honestly, is fun for most of us. There are amazing, wonderful stories. I mean, amazing stories. Anybody who says it's boring, they've never gotten to the stories in the Old Testament. They're great stories. They're story. What else? Yeah, there's, there's prophecy. There are writings of the prophets. Uh, we, and we find those all through the Old Testament. The prophets are, are interesting. We'll talk about it in a moment because they typically wrote in poetry. Most of the, the, the prophetic books in the Old Testament are poems. It's interesting. Not just writing down messages, but writing them creatively and, and beautifully. So there's, there, there's prophecy, there's poems, stories. What else? Andrew mentioned a couple that we don't always like to read. There's genealogy. It's inspired for us. There are genealogies in the Old Testament giving us the family tree and also laws. Long, long sections of nothing but regulations, holiness codes it's sometimes called. Yeah. What else? Love letters. Yeah. Actually, Tim, don't tell me. You've read the Song of Solomon? You had a class, they made you do it. Yeah. Yeah, my goodness, yeah. The Song of Solomon is just amazing, amazing back and forth. It's, it's, it's erotic. It's love poetry. It's songs. It's amazing. It's PG-13. Yeah. And it's in the Bible. It's wonderful. What else? What else is there in the Old Testament? It always points to the cross. Everything points to Christ. That's why Paul can talk about the Old Testament to Timothy and say, it'll make you wise to salvation in Jesus Christ. Yeah. What else? There are warnings, yeah, dire warnings, and often those we find in the, in the prophetic poems, warnings. Yeah, what else? Yeah, there's, there's just history, records from the kings of Israel. 
Absolutely. History. Yeah. What else? Yeah, the book of Psalm is kind of unique. What's the book of Psalms? Yeah, there's songs. It's, it's the worship. It's, it's, it's the hymnal of the ancient people of God stuck right in the middle of the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit wanted us to have that. Uh, it's songs. It's prayers. Yeah. Also in the book of Psalms, you find complaints. Yeah. If some of you wrote the Bible, it'd be all complaints. Uh, but in the book of Psalms, you find complaints. Sometimes the psalm is just complaining. Yeah. Now, Here's what you need to understand. Because the Holy Spirit inspired the Old Testament and the New Testament too, but we'll get there next week. But because the Holy Spirit inspired so many different kinds of of communication, so many different kinds of writing, poems and songs and and, and, and prophecies and and history and, and stories and genealogies and laws, understand, the first question to ask yourself, if you're gonna make sense out of it, is simply to ask, what kind of literature am I reading? What is this I'm reading? Am I reading a story? Is this just a narrative like I learned about in high school literature? Is this a story, an inspired story? Is this a section of law and regulations? Am I reading Proverbs? We didn't even mention Proverbs earlier, but I'll get to it later. Uh, Am I reading Proverbs? Am I reading prophetic writings? You understand? The first question to ask is, is what am I reading? Because honestly, sort of the, the rules of interpretation can be different for each of those different kinds of literature. You wouldn't read the, the history section, perhaps, in the same way you'd read the Proverbs. You would probably draw some false conclusions. You might not get to the plain sense of what the Holy Spirit wants to say. So first, always ask yourself, what am I reading? What kind of literature? What kind of uh, communication is this? And then two more questions. Ask yourself, how would this have been understood by the people back then and there? It's always the, 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 the second question to ask. How would this have been understood by the people back then and there? Usually the first clue as to what it means for us is to figure out how it would have been understood by them. So what would it have meant to the people back then and there? What did that mean to Isaiah? What would that have meant to the people Isaiah was preaching to? How would Moses have understood this portion of scripture that he's writing? And how would the people of Israel have understood it? What did it mean back then and there? Understand? That's your second step. Then the third step is to ask, what's God saying to me here and now? Understand? And those things can actually be different. But they're not going to be contradictory. Understand? So ask yourself, what what kind of communication is this? What am I reading? What would it have meant to those uh, back then and there? And then what is God saying to me here and now? And and let's, uh, let's, let's have some fun with it. Let's start with stories. Let's say you're reading Old Testament stories. Tell me your favorite. Joseph. Yeah. Everything about Joseph. That story is great. Where do we find it, Manisa? Genesis starting, yeah, somewhere in that last part of Genesis, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The very last part of Genesis gives us the stories of Joseph. Starts about Genesis 37, about Genesis 37. We're saying this out loud because some of you are going to read this week, and the first thing you'll say tomorrow morning is, where do I start? Where do I start? Hey, Manisa recommends the stories of Joseph starting in Genesis 37. That's good stuff. Really good stuff. What else? What's your favorite story? Esther, found in 
Esther, yeah, the book of Esther. It's all one story. It's a wonderful story. It's an awesome story. There's a beauty pageant. There's crime. There's intrigue. It's an amazing, amazing word from God. The book of Esther. What else? Favorite story? Valley of Dry Bones. Yeah, the prophet Ezekiel taken to the Valley of Dry Bones and given that amazing vision. Yeah. Somebody over here? Jonah. Yeah. In the book of Jonah, we know that Jonah gets swallowed by a great fish. But have you ever read that whole story? He is the the most lame, but also the most effective evangelist missionary we've ever seen. Somehow, no matter what Jonah does, when he preaches, people still get saved. And he's a rat fiend. He is so lame, his heart's not in it, but every time he preaches, people respond. It's amazing. Great story. Yeah. What else? What's your favorite story? Old Testament. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Man, I love that story. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's found in the book of Daniel chapter. I want you to tell me. I'm thinking three. Is it three? Daniel chapter three, something like that? Yeah. Three? Belshazzar's feast there in the book of Daniel is, 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 is Andrew's favorite. Yeah. yeah. What do we need to remember when we're reading the stories? What does a story do? When you're reading an Old Testament story, what does a story do? Again, it's not like a proverb. It's, it's not like the prophetic writings. A story is a story. What's it do? It tells, tells the truth. It tells what happened. The story tells what happened. What does the story not do? Well, it doesn't tell us everything that happened, usually. And so stories often will not answer all your questions. Also, a story tells you what happened. It doesn't always tell you what should have happened. And so sometimes in the Old Testament stories, we have bad examples. Have you read enough to understand what I'm talking about? There are bad examples. So you don't read every story in the Old Testament and say, there, that's how we're supposed to be. That's how we're supposed to live. There are actually bad examples in the Old Testament stories. And so you have to always come back to, what's the story do? It's telling me what happened. And then how did the story communicate to the people then and there? How did the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego encourage those ancient Israelites in exile? Do you understand? What would it have meant to them? That story of courage, that story of perseverance. And then what does it say to me here and now? See, it's a story, and you have to accept it on its own terms. This is how the Holy Spirit chose to communicate these truths, through a story, always through a story. Also, when you're looking at Old Testament stories, understand one thing. Who's always the main character? In every Old Testament story, who's the main character? Yeah, it's God. Yeah, the main character is always God. Truly, this is one big story when you look at it that way, and it's God's story. God is the main character. God is the hero in every single story. Now quickly, go to the book of Leviticus where it's where many of us um, gave up at some point. How do we relate to these laws? Because sooner or later you're going to run out of story and you're going to hit the laws, these regulations. If your offering is a 
grain offering baked in an oven, it must be made of choice flour, but without any yeast. It may be presented in the form of thin cakes mixed with olive oil or wafers spread with olive oil. If your grain offering is cooked on a griddle, it must be made of choice flour mixed with olive oil, but without any yeast. Break it in pieces and pour olive oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your grain offering is prepared in a pan, it must be made of choice flour and olive oil. What? Can I just write out a check? There's your recipe. Yeah. But it still ain't fondue, people. It still ain't fondue. How do I relate to, to these laws that sometimes regulate aspects of culture that have nothing to do with our lives? There are laws about everything in the ancient Israel culture, but they don't often relate to us at all. How, how, do, I, how do I relate? Do I read these laws as, as binding commandments on my life? Because if so, I've got to go home and build a fence around my roof. Because that's a law. Yeah, it, it still, it, it plays a part in salvation history. Remember, everything in God's word is pointing toward Christ. And so Paul talks a lot in the New Testament about the place of law. It's like a school teacher. It was teaching God's people obedience. It was truly taking people, sinful people, with no righteousness of their own and, and trying to draw boundaries so that they could exist and, and be called God's people. Trying to define some sort of uh, boundaries for relationships so that he could be their God and, and they could be his people. We're talking about a beautiful, merciful covenant. And honestly, when you're reading the laws, understand a lot of these laws are not necessarily binding on us in Christ today. Now, some of these laws have specifically been uh, renewed, ratified in, in the new covenant. I think we all agree that, that, the, that the Ten Commandments, for example, that kernel of, of moral law in the Old Testament still applies for those of us in Christ. Certainly the greatest commandment, as Jesus gives it, it's not that law has no place in our lives, but the Old Testament covenant, it's not the same as the covenant that we have in Christ. Uh, this is still God's inspired word for us, but not every single one of these laws is a commandment to us because of what Christ has done. L let me continue through. Uh, turn to the book of Obadiah, just in case you've never been there. Obadiah is, is a short book in the Old Testament. This is one of those prophetic writings now, we get confused when we talk about prophecy because when we say he's a prophet, a whole lot of people think he does what? He tells the future. So a lot of people go to prophetic writings and say he's a prophet. Well, he must be talking about the future. And so it says, the Lord says to Edom, I'll cut you down to size among the nations. You'll be greatly despised. And then, and then I, I try to think, well, where's Edom? Because Edom's in big trouble. And then I find out what? Well, Edom, they did get cut down to size. That, well, that, well, that happened. So it's very interesting in a way. The prophet Obadiah did have a message about the future, but their future is now our past. 
And actually, I think that's one of the fun parts about reading the Old Testament prophets. A lot of what they prophesied, we can actually look back and see that it happened exactly as they said that it would happen. Edom had sinned, and the prophets are very, very good at not just standing out and telling the future. The prophets are good at connecting dots. They would connect the dots between the people's behavior right now and the consequences of disobedience. They were very, very good at connecting the dots between your behavior and the consequences of disobedience, which would always entail the coming punishment from the Lord, the judgment from the Lord. So the prophets often were predicting events that we look back now and we can see that they are truly past. It happened exactly as the prophets said. But now, am I saying that everything the Old Testament prophets prophesied has already come to pass? No, no. Truly, there are prophecies that are still out there. Prophecies that that by the Holy Spirit they spoke years and years ago. And those prophecies are still awaiting fulfillment. So it is exciting, really, to dig into the Old Testament prophets and, and look and see which of these prophecies have already come to pass and which ones may even happen in, in our own lifetimes. Old Testament prophecy is, is exciting to read. However, I'll say this, the, the prophets, you'll probably need more help than, than any, perhaps any other kind of Old Testament writing because they do speak specifically to, to nations, specifically to cultures, specifically to customs that sometimes are very, very far away from, from what we might know in our day. So it's very helpful to get a good study Bible with good notes. And uh, mine doesn't have any, my preaching Bible doesn't. But your Bible may have an introduction to Obadiah. Read that. Now, that introduction is not God's inspired word. That's what some smart person wrote to help you read and make sense of it. But assuming that they really are smart, read what they wrote. Read the introduction to those prophetic books and find out who Obadiah was and who he was preaching to and where Edom was and what their sin was. And if you get that kind of introduction, chances are you'll be able to read and make sense of that. Of course you can. You just may need a a little bit of that background information. Go to the Psalms with me. We've already talked about the Psalms. What's in there? Gosh, almost everything. It's all in the Psalms. But Psalms is is frequently different. We've said that the Bible is is God's word, uh, the, the word of God in human words. But the interesting thing about the book of Psalms is about half the time, the words in Scripture are addressed to God. It's God's inspired scripture, it's God's inspired word, but actually what we have are, are, are human beings like us addressing God, praying, praising, complaining, just emptying their hearts before God. Psalms is different in that way, but because it's a worship book, there are hymns, there are wonderful, wonderful rehearsals of all of the good things that God has done. That's part of what makes Psalms different and wonderful. Wrapping up, there's another whole section in the Old Testament that is sometimes called just simply wisdom literature. Uh, what belongs in that category? Do you know? You're familiar with that term? Yeah, the book of Proverbs. Uh, turn there, look at it. Proverbs is, is, is wisdom literature. It's not a story. Proverbs doesn't tell, well, maybe one place. Proverbs doesn't tell a lot of stories at all. Proverbs is, is different. What is it? My child, listen when your father corrects you. Pay attention and learn good judgment. 
Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Make out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. What are those? Yeah, they're, they're, they're wise sayings. There are uh, observations of what is generally true. It's really, in some ways, inspired common sense. This is the kind of thing that your father, your grandfather would teach you. It's just information for life. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. They labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. They labor hard all summer. You see, it's the kind of thing that a parent, oh, I don't know, a mother, for example, like Casey Harris would say, they work hard all summer. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just, it's, it's wisdom. It, it, it's inspired. But sometimes the wisdom literature will, will be open to some, some misinterpretation. Because it's not the same as the law. It's not the same as the stories. And sometimes... When you read the wisdom sayings, you have to read them as general statements of what is typically true. But I've seen people take them as, as promises or take them as legal guarantees. And sometimes they can, uh, they can be led astray. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3 is one of those places where I've, I have seen this happen. Proverbs chapter 3. I, I love this passage. I love it. I just had a friend who, who took it too far. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, verse 5. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. A very good friend who to this day takes verse 8 as, as a, a sort of legal promise. He believes that if, if he continues to walk in the ways of the Lord, that he will never, ever be sick. It's, it's called divine healing. Uh, a lot of the TV evangelists preach this sort of way. That's not what that passage is saying. That, that's not what that passage is saying. It, it's not saying that, that if you walk in the ways of the Lord, that you will never, ever be sick. But, but he takes that verse that way. It says right there, you'll have healing for your body. He claims that promise for his life. And I, I don't think that's the plain sense of what that scripture's saying. I, I don't think so. It's a proverb. It's, it's not intended to be presented as some sort of legal guarantee for God's people. Um, it's, it, it's not that kind of scripture. So when you're reading the Old Testament, again, stop and ask yourself, what am I reading? And once you figure that out, once you understand that, then try to get a sense of what it meant to the people back then and there, and then ask yourself what God is saying to you in the here and now. The Old Testament is the Bible that Jesus read, the Bible that Jesus loved, and it is still able to make us wise into salvation. So do some reading in the Old Testament this week. Dig into some of the stories that we talked about, or, or maybe read through Proverbs this week. Find a place and, and, and dig in. Read slowly, slow down, turn off the TV, turn off the noise, and just give yourself some time in God's Word. As I said this morning, if, if you do not have a Bible, get a Bible. I mentioned briefly this morning uh, those who have the Bible on their, on their iPads. I, I do. I also have the Bible on my phone. I love this. 
I love having the Bible on my iPad and on my iPhone. It is an amazing tool. It's beyond now just simply what it would mean to have the Bible in a book. And I still love my Bibles, the books. The wonderful way that Bibles on your smartphone or on your iPad, one of the amazing things they can do is sort of interact with you. In other words, I use an iPad Bible called Version. U version. It's published by LifeChurch.tv, and it's free. It's free. You can get it on your smartphone. You can get it on an iPad or any kind of tablet. Look up LifeChurch.tv. Look for the U version. Download that Bible. It, it's free. It's any translation you can imagine. It's free. Any translation you can imagine in any language that you can imagine. I'm telling you, version is one of the most amazing Bible tools you've ever seen. What I like about version is it allows me to browse and select reading plans. And I love this. So I can choose a reading plan. It might be 30 days through the New Testament. Or it might be all of the promises of the Bible. Or the 100 best verses to memorize. Uh, There are reading plans specifically for teenagers, specifically for women, specifically for men. Reading plans if you're struggling with temptation. Reading plans if you're struggling with worry. Reading plans if you're dealing with, with guilt. It's just amazing devotional guides. The thing is, once you select one of those reading plans, you can get your phone to text you and remind you. I happen to like that. I like it when my phone tells me, hey, you haven't read your Bible yet this morning. That's good. I like it when I open my my iPad or my phone and it automatically knows exactly where I should be reading today and and takes me there. It's just a really, really good tool. And I would encourage uh, you, uh, if you've ever struggled in a habit of Bible reading and and found that you tended to fail, maybe one of these tools would would be what would push you right over the edge. As I say, uh, that gentle reminder when my phone buzzes and lets me know that uh, I haven't read yet. Uh, I, I appreciate that, uh, and, and it keeps me, keeps me in God's Word. Any final thoughts tonight? We have a, a song which we will use as our benediction, the doxology. Andrew, uh, stand in and lead us tonight, and this will be our dismissal.